Alright. Isaiah chapter 54 and verse number 2. I'm going to read one verse for you. And then I'm going to pray and get started. I've got a pretty simple outline here tonight. Just four points I want to give you. And I think this will be helpful for this church. Okay. Verse 2. Here's what the Bible says. Enlarge the place of thy tent. And let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitation. Spare not. Lengthen thy cords and strengthen thy stakes. I want to read that one more time because I really want everybody to let the words of this verse sink in. And all four points tonight will come out of this verse, uh, out of this one verse. Enlarge the place of thy tent and let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitation. Spare not. Lengthen thy cords and strengthen thy stakes. Let me pray, and then we'll begin the message for tonight. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the joy of being able to get to know these people in this wonderful church for the last two days. God, it's been exciting to to be a part of their warm, happy fellowship of believers. And it's, uh, it's exciting to see the, the buzz and the, the, um, the, the laughter, to hear the laughter, to see the smiling faces. And it's just great to, to see a church that has the joy of Jesus in it. And I pray, dear God, that uh, tonight that this message would inspire us to care about the people that are around us. And God, that we would have a heart to reach out to people and maybe somebody that we haven't thought about in a long time that needs to be thought about tonight. Uh, maybe somebody like that could get reclaimed for you. And Lord, somebody that maybe they've been invited before, uh, that they may need one more invitation just to get them back in the doors. Lord, I, I pray that everybody in here will come up with at least five names by the time this, is, this sermon is over with tonight. Lord, help us to do that. And I pray, God, that some of the people that are written on these cards uh, will will be reclaimed for your sake. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm just curious. Has anybody got a name on the card yet? Anybody? Okay, several of you already got names on there. Does anybody have five already? I'm just curious. Okay. Really? Wow. Okay. Two of you already have five? Okay. Good job. Good job. How many think you'll have five within the next five minutes? Okay. All right. More hands. Okay. Good. All right. I'm glad to see you're taking this serious. Okay. Because I really want everybody to take this thing serious. Okay. Now, the verse I just read to you, is um, is I don't know what it means to you just to hear me read that verse, okay? Uh, but I want to say something. This is really, really important. This verse of Scripture is a verse that God used that in, in I hate to say in our generation because it really didn't happen in our lifetime, but in our era, okay, in our last few centuries, What happened because of that verse is one of the most significant things to ever happen in Christianity. Okay, Here's what happened. There was a man by the name of William Carey. William Carey uh, lived in England, and uh, he was a Baptist, and uh, he was a a Christian, and he had in... uh, Now, he was a genius. The man was an absolute genius. He was one of these brilliant, brilliant, brilliant people. Okay, Just like your pastor. Those of you, some of you are laughing, some of you are nodding. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. All right. But, uh, William Carey was a brilliant, brilliant man. Brilliant man. Uh, brilliant with languages. Uh, just, just a brilliant man. And, uh, but he had a lot of zeal in his heart for the Lord and he had a, a great burden and passion for lost souls. And he, uh, he had read about India. 
And he had just an incredible burden for the land of India. Just a, a burden that was unquenchable. And with all of his heart, he wanted to get down to India or Burma. And he ended up in India, but India or Burma. But he wanted to get down there and get the gospel and, and, and plant churches and start an institute and train converts to, uh, to do the work of the ministry. He just had a burden to do that. And, but he understood that if he was going to do that, he couldn't just get on a boat with his wife and go. And He had to get uh, some people, some churches that would get behind him and support him. And so one night he um, sat before the, the men that were a part of the Baptist Association there in England. And they all sat together and they talked about uh, his desire to go down to Burma or India and, and, and do the work of a missionary. And, and uh, one of the men spoke up pretty quickly in the meeting and he said, Mr. Carey, he said, if God chooses to convert the heathen, he can do it without your help or mine. Now, does anybody here understand that that contradicts the Bible? That contradicts the Bible. Um, could God convert people without our... Could He? Oh, He could have the rocks cry out. He could have the angels come down. Right? If He, if he wanted to do it that way, He could. But He did not give the Great Commission to rocks. And He did not give the Great Commission to angels. He gave the Great Commission to me and to you. Okay, it's our job to do these things. And so William Carey understood that and he felt this passion and this burden in his heart to do it. And, but he understood he needed the help of people to do this. And so uh, he brought it before the Baptist Association and was somewhat mocked uh, straight out of the gate. But he didn't, let him, uh, he didn't let that stop him. He didn't let that quench his fire. And so he decided just to keep pursuing it. And finally, he convinced a pastor and another and another and another until finally pretty much the whole Baptist Association was behind his vision and they raised the funds for him to, to go and do what he needed to do. Now, today, we refer to William Carey as the father of modern missions. The father of modern missions. You say, well, why do we call him that? Well, I'll tell you why. Because if you look right back here in this corner, back here in your church, uh, you've got a whole board full of missionaries that are doing the work of missions the William Carey way. Are you following me? The, the, they, they didn't just pack up and go over to whatever land and start churches and, and get a job, live off the land or whatever. But they got American churches, which Carey got... England, for the most part, churches to, to back him. But they pretty much get American churches to back them and support them and to partner with them. And, and that is why they have gone out and done what they do. We have a list of missionaries that we support in our church. And every church I've been a member of has a list of missionaries that we support. And praise God, the, the planet is pretty much circled by people that have done it the William Carey way. Okay? So... Here's what happened though. In that meeting where William Carey sat before the men of that Baptist association, he opened his Bible to Isaiah 54 and he read verse number 2. And he said, this is what we have to do. This is what we have to do. This is the way we have to do it. This is the strategy and the sermon... I'm going to put the title up there. The sermon tonight is a strategy for attempting great things. 
Now, you say, well, where, where do you get that title? William Carey, if he is known for any quote, he is known for this one. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. I'll say it again. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. That's a quote by William Carey. And he used Isaiah 54 verse 2 as a strategy of how to attempt great things for God. Now, I'll tell you this. If you want to do anything for the Lord that is of any significance between now and the day you die, then what we're going to see out of Isaiah 54 2 gives you a strategy, gives you a game plan as to how to approach that, okay? Now, with that in mind, anybody write more names down? Nod your head if you're writing some more names down. Okay, alright, good, thank you. Alright, let me give you four thoughts out of this tonight, okay? Number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, a covering. A covering. Or... A tent. Notice the words in verse number 2. It says, enlarge the place of thy tent. Enlarge the place of thy tent. Now, I'm referring to this tent that Isaiah is talking about as a covering. A covering. And, and please hear what I'm saying. A church ought to be a shelter in the time of storm. A church ought to be a haven. Pastor Lejeune has been with me for a long time. We've been friends for a long time. And I'm sure that Pastor Lejeune, you could not count on both hands and both feet the number of times you've heard me say that church ought to be a haven. I say that over and over and over and over. It ought to be a haven. It ought to be that what you do all throughout the week, that every struggle you face out there in your job, every struggle you face out there in your life, every struggle you face out there with your family, you know that Sunday is going to be here where you can can come under the tent and you can come under the protection, you can come into the haven and find that protection from the storms of life. Do you find that in White Oak Baptist Church? Amen. I can tell you do because you come in here so happy. Amen. And so because you view this as a haven, you come in here with joy. So the Bible says that that tent, that covering, that place of protection, you've got to enlarge that. You've got to make it bigger. Now listen very carefully. I'm going to give you some technical stuff. Now I know it's Tuesday night. And how many of you are tired? Raise your hand. You're tired. How many of you are too tired to raise your hand? Okay, alright, I know Tuesday night you're tired, I get it, I understand, okay, but can, can you just try to use your brain for a minute here? I know by this time of the day on Tuesday, no brain cells left, but listen close to this, okay? Joshua chapter 1 verse 4, you don't necessarily need to turn to it, but in Joshua 1 4, God promised Israel land. Right? You remember Joshua 1? You know, Moses is gone, now Joshua's leader, and God said, there is your land, wherever the sole of your foot lands, that's yours. Remember that? Alright, listen close to this. The land that God promised Joshua was 300,000 square miles. 300,000 square miles. That's almost as big as the state of Texas. Okay? That's a lot of square miles. You know how much Israel claimed? Under David and Solomon, that's as large as their borders ever got. Under David and Solomon, they got 30,000 square miles. Now how much did God give them? 300,000. How much did they claim? 30,000. At their peak, at the largest their land ever was, they were only one-tenth of all that God had given them. It went downhill from there. Uh, today, Israel covers about 8,000 square miles. 
8,000. And you say, well, Pastor, can you relate that to where we are? Uh, they are 8,000 square miles now. Where I'm from, the state of Maryland, is just a little over 12,000 square miles. And your beloved state of Connecticut is 5,543 square miles. So somewhere between the size of Connecticut and the state of Maryland is the size of Israel today. 8,000 square miles. But God promised them 300,000 square miles. No wonder Isaiah said, we've got to enlarge the tent. We've got to enlarge the tent. God has given us ground to cover. God has given us land to possess. God has given us all this area that we are to go out and seize, but we've only taken just a little portion of it. Your pastor told me yesterday that within 30 minutes of this church, there, there are millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of people that live within 30 minutes of this church. Within an hour of this church, can you just begin to fathom how many people... Our, our church in Maryland, I have two families that drive right at an hour to get to our church. Okay, An hour from this church... The multiplied millions and millions and millions of people. I'm saying the tent needs to be enlarged. The tent needs to be enlarged. Sometimes our churches, what happens is we get so content with what we have. We got our little family atmosphere and we know everybody's names and we like everybody and, you know, listen, do not let that mentality creep into White Oak Baptist Church. You ought to always be thrilled when somebody new walks in these doors. You ought to be thrilled whenever somebody new follows the Lord and believers' baptism after they've accepted Christ as their Savior. You ought to be thrilled every time the tent is enlarged a little bit. The tent is for protecting people. The tent is for pulling people in. And the tent is for the uh, persistence after people. I remember years ago I heard a preacher tell a story. He said that there was this man that had a... He was given a, a Sunday school class of, of fourth grade boys. And... Um, he said he had about seven or eight boys in the class, and he said he'd been teaching the class for a number of weeks, and, uh, and, and they were just calling everybody they could call, trying to get all these fourth grade boys into Sunday school, and, and um, trying to get the class to grow. And, you know, they got up from seven or eight up to 10 or 11. And, and, um, and so the teacher, he said, All right, he said, Guys, listen, we're going to set a date on the calendar, and we're going to shoot for 25. And the boys' eyes got big, 25. Man, I, we barely fit 25 boys in this room. All right, he said, guys, we need to pray and pray and pray, and we need to invite, invite, invite. We need to do everything we can to get 25 boys on such and such day in so many weeks. And, and so every Sunday between that Sunday and, and then, they prayed and they prayed and they prayed, God, give us 25 boys on that Sunday. Go, oh, Lord, we want 25. We want every chair in this Sunday school classroom full. And, 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 they, and those boys worked and they invited and they, they really pull, pulled out all the stops to get all their little buddies from school to come to Sunday school and Finally, the day came, and the teacher was nervous, and you know, you know how you get nervous whenever you got something special going on at church, and you're just worried this is, it might flop. You ever get, you get that way? I'm pretty much that way every day of my life. All right, but, but, teacher all nervous, and so the day came, and it's a few minutes before Sunday school, and they got seven or eight boys in there, and he's thinking, man, I don't know, I, you know, I don't see anybody new, and, and he's, he's antsy, his hands are getting all sweaty, and, Lord, you know, I, come on, bring these guys in. Next thing you know, they got 10 or 11. He said, okay. I've got a normal crowd here. We're still a long way from 25. Next thing you know, there's 15 in there. They say, well, we're moving in the right direction. It's about time to start. 
You got 20 in there? Woo, man! Even if we don't make it to 25, we've got a big day here, you know, trying to put a positive spin on it in case we don't make it. 21, 22, 23, 24. Oh, guys, we're only one person away. Somebody go out on the street and pull somebody in. No, just joking around. They not want to do that. And uh, so here it is, three minutes after time for Sunday school to start. They're a little bit late. And one more boy walks in. Woo! 25! We did it, guys! We did it! And the guys are all cheering and clapping. And, oh, they're so happy and so excited. And then another boy walks in. 26, 27. And then five more walk in, 32. And then another five walk in, 37. And now every seat is full and boys are sitting on boys' laps and somebody raises up both of the windows in the classroom and the boys sitting in the window seals and, and, uh, then they're putting chairs out in the hallway. 40, 45, 46, 47. And it's starting to stink. How many of you ever taught fourth grade boys? So you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Sorry, no offense to you fourth grade boys. You get out of it in the fifth grade. Yeah, not really. You do get out of it eventually, about your uh, junior year in college. I think you finally get rid of it. But anyway, but it's starting to stink, and guys are stepping on each other, and he just stepped on my foot. He just elbowed me in the stomach, and it's just chaos and pandemonium. Or as we say in Kentucky, pandelirium. That's not really a word. But anyway, there's just chaos in there. And finally they end up with 50 boys in there. And the teacher doesn't know what to do. They're all out in the hallway. They're hanging out the windows. They're sitting on each other's laps. just a mess in there. And the teacher's thinking, I didn't, I, I wasn't prepared for this. And he looks over and there's a boy sitting on the front row just bawling his eyes out. Just crying and crying and crying. He's weeping. And he looks at me and says, son, he said, what in the world are you crying about? He's already chaos enough without you sitting there crying. What are you crying about? He says, teacher, this is my fault. He says, it's all my fault. He says, I feel terrible. He says, it stinks in here and everybody's mad and everybody's elbowing each other and stepping on each other. He says, it's awful. It's all my fault. And he said, why is it your fault? He said, because for weeks y'all been praying for 25 and I was praying for 50. <laughs> it's all his fault. You know, I say we need more boys in our churches like that. Amen. We need more workers in our churches like that. You know why? Because that is broadening the tent. That's enlarging the tent. Now, let me just say this, folks, okay? Um, we, I'm not, I'm not one of those numbers fanatics. Can I get an amen? I'm not a numbers fanatic, okay? But I am a people fanatic. There's a big difference, okay? There's a big, big difference. I've been in some of those churches where they boast these massive numbers. And I look around, I'm like, well, there's a lot of numbers here, but I'm not so sure that I see as many as you're telling everybody. We were in a church not too long ago, my wife and I were, that boast these massive, massive numbers, and come to find out that they, they do, they, and this is legitimate, they count a couple of satellite churches they have in their area, and I don't have a problem with that, but they're also counting the church in, uh, that they started in Brazil, and they're counting that in their attendance. <laughs> you know, I, it's a numbers game. It's an ego game. It's a pride game. And I'm not about that, okay? But I am about getting as many people into the fellowship of a local church as you possibly can. Getting them saved, getting them baptized, getting them grounded. I believe in that because God said so. And this is what inspired William Carey to say, gentlemen of the Baptist Association, we have to enlarge our tent Enlarge, if God told Israel 300,000 miles, why are they content with 8,000 miles? And can I get political? 
It bothers me that we as Americans sometimes tell Israel, well, if you want some peace in the Middle East, then just give away some more of it. Seriously? They've given away plenty. They don't need to give away anymore. And of all the land they've given away, they haven't brought peace yet, has it? But the covering, the tent. Number two, number two. How are you doing on those names? Doing good on the names? Okay, alright. Number two, the corral. The corral. And i got the word curtains up there next to that. Look at the verse again. Enlarge the place of thy tent, and let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitation. Stretch forth the curtains. Okay. Now, the tent refers to the roof. The curtains refers to the walls. The walls. Or the corral. Okay. My wife and I used to live uh, at a camp. Okay. And um wasn't a huge camp or anything, but it was an abandoned camp. And one of my favorite things to do is take my children out into the woods at the camp and prowl around and find stuff. Okay, and that was just a really fun thing to do. And um, one day we were just out walking around the woods and I found a corral. Okay, where they used to keep some horses back there. I had no idea. Nobody ever told me they ever kept horses back there. I didn't know there was a corral back there. And uh, but it was uh, it was just fascinating. And um, the wooden post and the wooden railings had uh, moss grown, growing all over it. And, and a, a lot of the railings were broken and, and um, a lot of the posts had fallen over. Guess what was not inside the corral? Somebody said it. Horses. There were no horses in the corral. You know Why? Because the corral had not been kept. So where were the horses? Well, I didn't really look into it that deep, so I don't know. But they weren't where they were supposed to be. They weren't where they were supposed to be. The walls of this church are a corral. Figuratively speaking. You are the walls of this church. Now listen carefully. Okay, everybody give me some eyeball contact here, okay? It is your responsibility as a member of White Oak Baptist Church to help corral the people. That's a tall order. I mean, that's a really tall order. Sometimes being a pastor feels like we're herding cats. (laughs) It's everywhere. Come on. Everybody, come on back. I got a sermon to preach to you. You know, it kind of feels that way sometimes. And I'll tell you right now that there is not a pastor on the planet that can do it all by himself. Not one. Not me. Not yours. Not none. Pardon my Kentucky grammar. None. People scatter all over the place. I have found out that people leave churches. For incredibly strange reasons. I have found that people drop out of churches for incredibly strange reasons. I have found people, people just miss services for incredibly strange reasons. Walked down the aisle before Sunday night service one night and I shook hands with a guy. It was my first church way out, in the, way out in the sticks and shook the fellow's hand and I said, hey, we missed you this morning. And he said, yeah, I know. He said, we ran out of peanut butter. Remember that, honey? I, 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 what would you say to that? 
I said, I said, pardon me? He said, yeah, we ran out of peanut butter. I said, oh, okay, okay. I was probably 25 years old, I guess. And, uh, of course, I'm 50 now. I don't know what I'd say now if somebody said it to me. And then he just laughed out loud, and he said, I figured you've heard every other excuse in the world. I thought I'd give you one you hadn't heard yet. <laughs> uh, well, at least you're honest, you know, that you didn't have a legitimate reason to miss this morning. But, uh, but honestly, folks, I have heard every excuse in the books, and it's hard to keep people corralled. That's why it takes a team to do that. It takes a team to do that. I heard about three pastors that all went out for breakfast one morning, and they're all from the same area, pastor three different churches, and just in the conversation, one of the pastors, he said, and he said, you know, we're having a real problem in our church. We have bats up in the steeple. And he said, and they get inside the church building sometime, and Another pastor chimed in and he said, seriously, he said, we have bats in our steeple too. And they get inside the building third and so up. And he said, we do too. He said, this is crazy. And one of them um, said, he said, yeah, he said, I got up inside the steeple with some pots and pans one day, just made a lot of noise and it scared them all off, but they all came back. And uh, he said, I thought that had got rid of them, it didn't work. And the other one said, well, I got in the steeple and fumigated the place and I thought that would get rid of them. They all flew away, but when the smell was, you know, they all came back. The third guy, he said, I took all the bats and I baptized them and I made them church members and none of them have come back. (laughs) I'm just trying to tell you tonight, it is a lot of work to corral people. It is. It's an incredible amount of work. Can I just say a couple things really quick here before I move on to point three? How many of you are awake tonight? Can you say Amen. Can everybody poke the person next to you and make sure they're awake tonight? Okay, because I'm going to say something right now that everybody needs to hear this, okay? Are you ready? You ready? First thing I want to say is you stay corralled. Don't make anybody go chasing you down. How many of you promised me you'll stay corralled? Can you raise your hand? Okay. Hey, behave yourself, folks, for crying out loud. Okay, somebody's eventually not going to shake your hand. Toughen up and get over it. So I can preach hard to y'all because I'm leaving. <laughs> Amen. But you stay corralled. Don't create more unnecessary work. Alright? I have known of people that would stop going on purpose just to see how long it takes for them to get a phone call. Do you know how immature that is? That is so stinking immature. Don't be that guy. Don't be that girl. You stay corralled. Next thing I wrote down here is always look for who might be missing. Always look for who might be missing. Next thing I wrote down is make a list of people who need attention. Make a list of people who need attention. In my office, I sit behind my desk right here, the drawer, the top drawer on my right. When I pull that drawer out, I've got two white cards and I've probably got about 25 or 30 names of men that a lot of the guys are single. Um, a lot of the guys, they just don't necessarily make friends easily. Okay? They, you know, they might pop in some time and they'll on purpose sit all by themselves somewhere. And, you know, and um, at least once a week, I'll pull that drawer out and I'll look at it and I'll ask myself, who have I not texted in the last few weeks? And I'll just sit there and text all those guys. And I make sure that everybody on those two lists uh, get a text at least once a month. And some of them more, more than that. 
But it's just, and some of them hadn't been in church in a year and a half. But I don't want them to think that I've forgotten about them. Can I get an amen? Now, I think they appreciate the preacher doing that. But the truth of the matter is, in their mind, they're thinking, he gets paid to do this. He's probably got an answer to the deacons. How many text messages? Which I don't. Okay? But some of them are probably thinking that. But if you do it, nobody's motives are going to be questioned. Nobody's going to think you're getting commission. It's funny how the dumb things people think. So, you stay corralled. Always look for who might be missing. Make a list of people who need attention. And then let's work together to fill in the cracks. Let's work together to fill in the cracks. Um, I hate to admit this to you, but I have let people slip through the cracks before. How many of you are shocked by that? I have. Some people just don't make a lot of noise. You know, I I hate to admit this too, but I'm away from home and so nobody can get on to me for it. But <laughs> sometimes the squeaking wheels get the grease. Okay? And the church members that squeak are the ones who get the pastor's attention. And sometimes you got that sweet little person that just really doesn't say a whole lot. And they may miss six weeks in a row and nobody notices the people in the pews have got to look around and have got to be determined in their hearts to help corral the people. And number three, third thing I want you to see tonight is the contact or the ropes. The contact or the ropes. Look back at the verse again. Enlarge the place of thy tent. That's the covering, the, the haven, the place of protection, the church. Let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitation. That is the corral, keeping people in. Spare not, lengthen thy cords. Lengthen thy cords. If you're going to have a bigger tent, you have to have longer ropes. That's the contact. That's the contact. Here's what I wrote down. We need more ropes, church anchors. We need longer ropes, people who are willing to give a little bit more and a little more time. And we need tighter ropes, People to put a little more muscle power in. Here, here's, here's the way I want to describe this. this. This white card that I ask you to take tonight, I want to tell you what this, what this white card is all about tonight, okay? It, it's nothing spectacular. It's nothing earth-shattering. But this white card is basically you taking the church in one hand and taking some people in another hand and saying, I'll be the rope. I'll be the rope between my church and this friend. I'll be the rope. I'll be the rope between my church and these people who maybe they visited here on Easter. Maybe they, maybe they sent their children to Bible school. Maybe they're my next-door neighbor. Maybe it's my cousin. Maybe it's my mother-in-law. But I will be the rope between them and my church. We need more people to do that. Listen, it, it comes down to this. You will do that if you care about these people and if you believe in the Bible this church preaches. If you believe in the Jesus, the Bible this church preaches, and if you love those people, you will be the rope to pull the two together. When I was um, a teenager, one of my favorite things to do 
My um, and, and and I better I better put a disclaimer on this before I say it, lest I get in trouble. Okay, I was a kid. I didn't have any discernment at all. Okay, just throw that out there. Okay, one of my favorite things to do. Uh, my dad, uh, we we get in his pickup truck and we drive over the Mississippi River from Kentucky into Missouri. We go to a place called Sykeston, Missouri. Has anybody ever been to Sykeston, Missouri? Okay, it's famous for Lambert's Restaurant. No. I didn't think too many Connecticut people would ever get down there, okay? But anyway, um, we'd go over to Sykeston, and that's where they had the big rodeo, okay? And I used to love going to the rodeo. I mean, that was fun. There were, um, uh, I liked the, the guys that ride the horses. I thought that was pretty exciting, okay? But the two things I liked the most, number one was the bull riding contest, okay? Because I thought, man, it takes a manly man <laughs> to do that. And the truth is, I am not man enough <laughs> to be that guy. <laughs> Does anybody here think you could do that? Anybody? Okay. Listen, I would rather, I would rather you just stand me on the 50 yard line and let all 22 guys converge on me than, than to have to ride on. Cause the thing is, even if you get scared and just go ahead and fly off of it, you don't know what he's going to do after that. You know what I'm saying? That's the worst part. Hanging on, and you, anyway, I could go on and on. But that, that was the first thing I really liked. The second thing I liked was the calf roping contest. And, uh, now, now, a lot of people are nowadays saying that's inhumane. Well, let me tell you, those calves get treated pretty well through the week, okay? It's just on Friday night at the rodeo, they kind of get, get roughed up a little bit. But, anyway, um, but they would let the, the calf out the gate, and that calf would, woo, take off flying, all right? And then they'd let the guy on the horse take off, and he'd have his lasso going, and, and woo, and he'd throw it. How they get that lasso underneath the hind legs of that calf, I could not tell you, okay? But in a matter of split seconds, they've got the back legs of that calf uh, lassoed, the cowboy's off of the horse, and he's got that calf upside down tying all fours together. And as soon as he puts his hands up like that, then it's over and whoever gets the best time wins, okay? Now, try to relate that to the church. The, the guy riding, <laughs> amen. The guy riding on the bull, that's the pastor, amen. <laughs> Feels that way sometimes, doesn't it? Woo, good night. Feel like you're gonna get stomped to death in this place. But you know what? We gotta be that guy with the rope. We gotta be that guy with the rope. Now we need to be humane about it. But when William Carey stood before the Baptist Association and said, guys, this is what we got to do, he's saying somebody's got to be the ropes. He was saying that we've got the gospel in England. They don't have the gospel in Burma and India. Let me be the guy that takes this over there. Let me be the rope. I'm asking you tonight, will you be a rope? And then finally, number four. I'll close with this is a connection or the stakes. Connection or the stakes. Look back at the verse again. Enlarge the place of thy tent and let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitation. Spare not. Lengthen thy cords and strengthen thy stakes. Strengthen thy stakes. Um, I think the, the curse of the church growth movement today is that they are enlarging... The tent, they are stretching forth the curtains and they are lengthening the cords, but they're not strengthening the stakes. Okay? Not a whole lot of Bible doctrine being taught. I mentioned my wife and I went into one of these mega, mega, mega churches not too long ago when we were on vacation. Thousands of people in there. 
we walked in there, both of us holding a Bible. We were the only ones with a Bible. Pastor didn't have a Bible. Pastor didn't preach a sermon. We counted two, maybe three times that a scripture was gently referred to throughout conversation. Thousands of people. No Bible. And this is church? I mean, this is church? Uh, just because you put people all in the same room and call it a church, that doesn't mean it's a church. You've got to drive the stakes a little deeper than that. To drive stakes deeper, you have to, you have to beat them pretty hard. And sometimes when you're trying to reach people with the gospel, you feel like you've taken a beating. When you drive those stakes deeper, you not only have to beat them hard, you have to angle them outward. You can't just drive them that way and attach the rope. You've got to angle them outward. And to be honest with you, sometimes we Christians really do look pretty foolish compared to the, the way the rest of the world is going. We are definitely angled outward. But I'm all right with that. I'm okay with that. Old-fashioned, standout, dinosaur, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Because I really believe that's the way you have to be. You know, this philosophy that, that um, churches look like the world, talk like the world, act like the world, be like the world, so you can show them what a difference Jesus has made? Well, did Jesus really make a difference? There is a difference between a church and an audience. So did you get your at least five names written down? Did you get them written down? The invitation tonight is really, really simple. Nothing, nothing spectacular, nothing, a lot of hoopla. What I want to ask you to do is this. We're going to bow our heads and close our eyes. I'm going to pray. I'm going to turn the invitation over to Pastor Lejeune. And I'm just going to ask how many people would be willing to take your card. Just come down to kneel at the front pew, kneel at the altar, wherever, and just lay that card down and just call those names out before the Lord. And just say, God, help me to help them get saved. Help me to help them get into church. Help me to help them get discipled. Help me to help them get grounded. Help me to be a blessing to them. Help me to help them become a better Christian. Is that not what we're supposed to be doing? Pretty simple tonight. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Lord, I want to thank you for one other opportunity tonight to be able to preach to this church. And I thank you, Lord, for the warm response that I felt every single time. And God, I don't know how many names are on pieces of paper right now. I think I'm pretty safe in saying there must be well over a hundred. And God, I pray there will be a lot of prayers prayed for those names this week. And I pray there will be a lot of phone calls made to those folks this week. I pray that a lot of invitations will be given to those folks. Lord, help us to swallow our fears. God, help us just to express concern like Christians are supposed to. 
I'm going to turn the invitation to your pastor. And I'll invite you to come and lay that card on the altar before the Lord. If you wrote somebody's name down, it's because you love them. It's because you love them. Let me ask you tonight, do you believe in the mission of this church? Do you believe that the Bible can change their life? Do you love them? Won't you commit to pray for them? Won't you commit to be that rope that connects them into this church? How much healthier and stronger would we be if all of us in this room tonight made a commitment to stay on top of our friends, our family, and other church members? Help keep them connected here. You know, really what Pastor King preached on tonight was love. The second greatest commandment is loving your neighbor as yourself. That's what this is about. It's loving those people. Will you come and kneel while the piano begins playing? Will you pray for the names on that list that you wrote down? Altars open. Will you come and kneel with that list and just pray over them? Ask God to help you to love those people. Help connect them into this church.